Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to the Crossover NBA Podcast. On this episode, we'll get into all the drama going on right now in Los Angeles. A new hire in New Orleans and some huge implications in the postseason and much more. As always, best way to support this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts where you can post a rating or leave a comment. Maybe do both. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. Also, if you like boxing, and I know there's such a crossover here, subscribe to the SI Boxing Podcast hosted weekly by yours truly. That podcast also comes out every single week. And my first episode of the new SI TV show, In the Paint, that premieres this week on Tuesday on SI TV. My first guest is NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. The show will appear on the SITV platform every Tuesday and is only available on SITV. To subscribe, head over to SI.TV. And one other piece of business, the Webby nominations are out and Fall of the Titan, the terrific podcast reported and hosted by Tim Rohan, is nominated for the Best Sports Podcast. If you like that pod, please go to WebbyAwards.com and vote for it under the sports category Uh, sports podcast category now joining me here in studio two of my first guests on the SITV show kind enough to riff with me a little bit early on here on the podcast Howard Beck from Bleach Report and Ian Begley from ESPN.com fellas thanks for coming in absolutely I'm still trying to figure out the picture in my head of that Venn diagram of NBA and boxing fans Uh, I think it's a um, 
it's a needle. I'm, I'm trying to corner that market, though. <laughs> like, I want to be the go-to guy on social media for that small I, piece I of the pie. I think you are. <laughs> I have to be. Like, if you're a boxing and an NBA fan, you don't actually. I mean, that's just, that's a poor reflection on me. It's just sad. Um, glad to have you guys both there because, I mean, obviously it's been a huge week uh, in the NBA. The Lakers, the biggest storyline, an ever-evolving story. To go back to last week, Magic Johnson abruptly quits the job as president of basketball operations, does it in one of the most absurd ways that I've ever seen somebody quit their job without telling his boss, team owner, uh, Jeannie Buss. He addressed the media for 45 minutes in just a rambling, uh, I don't know what how to describe it. Then he goes on to hug people. I, I don't know what was happening in Los Angeles. Uh, Ian, we'll start with you. What did you make of what you saw out of the Lakers uh, in this past week. Total dysfunction. And if there's anyone who knows dysfunction, I've covered the Knicks for the last (laughs) 10 years or so. I know dysfunction well. I know it when I see it. This was dysfunction. The idea that the team president is holding an impromptu press conference to tell the world he's stepping down without having told the owner. It's just insane. And it left this proud organization just in tatters and the laughing stock of the league for a few days. Now they have to sort things out with regards to the coaching search. Uh, does Rob Palenka uh, continue to hold power in the front office? What does Jeannie Buss want to do? I think a lot of the league is waiting with bated breath to see where Jeannie goes from here. Howard, you covered the Lakers you know, out working in Los Angeles for many years. I mean, they've had some weird things happen to them, especially over the last couple of decades. This, this though, seems like it's at the top of the list. It's up there. It's it's hard. It, it, at a certain point, it's hard to rank weird Laker things that have happened because there have been so many, and they do this better than anyone. Um, I'll, I'll I'll go over this one briefly, but I was there the day that Dell Harris was fired, attended his own firing press conference, which is almost unheard of, and after spending forty five minutes with a very heartfelt discussion with the media of his dismissal at a time that it was it was emotionally raw for him. His parents had died in the off season. He had dedicated the season to them, and Dell's being very just emotional and earnest as he is, he walks out and then Dennis Rodman walks in for the next press conference because they had also just signed Dennis Rodman. So if you want (laughs) to say that Magic Johnson resigning on live TV without telling Jeannie Buss, if you want to say that that tops Dell and Dennis back in 99, I mean, maybe. Because whatever we may think of that spectacle... This is all tempered by the fact that most of us think that Magic Johnson wasn't that well suited for this job in the first place and was not the right hire two years ago. So, yes, it was a strange scene. Yes to everything you and Ian have said, but he's walking away from a job that he shouldn't probably have had, and it gives them the opportunity to shore up their front office. And so that's that's the silver lining. Yeah, do we think that he's being genuine with his reasons for why he didn't want the job? I mean, I buy it. Because I look at the history of Magic Johnson. He was a head coach for 16 games in 1994. Then was like, hey, you know, fuck it. I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And he has that, well, some of us old enough to remember that awful talk show, The Magic Hour. Right. Which was, what, I think eight weeks long. And then that was just out of syndication. And you see reports that he was not involved at all at the very end there. He just, he has a hard time following through with right. stuff. And this is not a job that you can just kind of be Magic Johnson. You have to be willing to you know, spend extreme hours scouting like Ohio Valley Conference players. You've got to travel overseas to go see if you can identify the next Giannis. I, don't, I just never thought Magic had that in him, and that's kind of bore itself out over the last couple of years. Right. There needs to be a full dedication to this job. It's 24-7. Uh, you can't have 
outside interests tugging at your attention span. And, and we know Magic has a ton of outside interests. And, you know, it seemed based on his explanation that he preferred to pursue those outside interests rather than continuing with the Lakers. But the one thing that I kind of wonder about his explanation is how much did the idea that him not being confident and being able to land the top free agents this summer in Los Angeles play into his decision to walk away. Because, I, you know, we know he's a, a prideful man, just like any successful athlete. And I wonder if his ego would have taken a hit if he wasn't able to bring in, you know, the Kawhi Leonard's or the Kevin Durant's for meetings and to get a signature of one of those guys on the dotted line this summer. You know, everything that I'd heard from people around the league was that the Lakers were not going to be in play for these marquee free agents. I have to think that Magic had heard the same thing, and that probably didn't sit well with him. Yeah, see, Howard, I buy that, that part of it, because if the Lakers had gotten Anthony Davis at the February trade deadline, I don't think we're sitting here. I don't think we're having the same conversation. He may have been fed up with the job or not interested in the job, but if you can go into the next year with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and potential cap space, if you made you know, if you were able to include some salaries to still keep those books open, I think we might be seeing something different from Magic Johnson. I think that's fair, Chris, and I think everything Ian just said is also fair. I also think that of the the reasons that Magic offered there's enough there for him to have wanted to walk away anyway. And when he alluded to the whispers and the the backstabbing or the backbiting, listen, like that that stuff's real. Whether it was whether he's alluding to things within his own front office or just league wide, that stuff's real too. And that's the kind of stuff that you could see where Magic Johnson might not just want to be part of that world. But to everything you said, Chris, like he's he just wasn't dedicated to this job. It's a really hard, complex, time-consuming job. And to do that while also managing all of his whatever hundreds of millions of dollars in business and everything, it's just not a great formula for success in today's NBA. This is not the same NBA that he came up in where you could walk out of playing and walk right into a front office and, you know, there's like three people working for you and the salary, ca- the CBA is like only an inch thick instead of like, you know, 17 <laughs> volumes thick. It's a different world. It takes people who do nothing but this and are fully dedicated. And so, yeah, if he'd gotten Anthony Davis, maybe he's got more motive to stick around. Also, all of the stress and the um, chaos that surrounded not getting him would then have not happened, right? So I think all of those things probably helped push him toward this decision. I think, look, regardless of how he left the team, he is giving Jeannie Buss a gift, in my opinion. Yes. I mean, this isn't Phil Jackson leaving the Lakers or leaving the Knicks in a state of disrepair. Like there's not their team is not in a terrible place. They've got one of the best players in the game in LeBron James under contract. They've got some good young players, we can debate how good they are, but a solid young core and they've got cap space. Whoever comes in there is going to have uh, a cupboard at least half full and have some options there. Now they may be it's a complicated job because you are trying to build with young players on one side and you have LeBron James and the ticking clock around him on the other side. But Magic walking away after just two years and not bloating their books and screwing everything up, even the decision to sign the guys that 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 you know were playmakers around LeBron instead of shooters, it's a short-term risk. I mean, all those guys are coming off the books this year if the Lakers want them to come off the books. So he left the Lakers in a decent spot. And now, uh, Ian, there's an opportunity 
for LeBron, uh, for for Genie Bus to hire somebody that can take this team to the next level. Without a doubt, and you just said it, you can really mold this roster in a way that you see fit if you come in and take this job. You know, there's guys that are going to be off the books. There's going to be trade opportunities with Anthony Davis. You will have a lot of money to spend. You're going to have uh, a high lottery pick in the 2019 NBA draft. So you'll have plenty of tools in the toolbox to reshape this roster. And I have to think that no matter who comes in to run the show, whether it remains Rob Palenka or someone from the outside, they shape this roster in a way in which uh, LeBron James has had success recently. And that means surrounding him with shooters and surrounding him with another playmaker. We saw it work in Cleveland. I think they'll go that route and not repeat the blueprint that Magic and Palenka tried to do this summer that clearly did not work. It's going to be interesting to see how things move forward uh, with the Lakers, both with the front office and with the coaching search. I do, I'm do. i pretty confident in saying, though, that before Magic stepped down, this was Ty Lue's job. Mm-hmm. Everyone around the league was saying Ty Lue is the guy. Now, obviously, Magic stepping around throws that into disarray. Obviously, Ty is still a top candidate for this gig. It's just going to be fascinating to see which direction they go because it, it's going to have such a ripple effect across the rest of the league. Howard, as we record this on Monday afternoon, it, it sure seems like Rob Palenka is on some firm-ish ground right now. And I say that because when they announced the parting of the ways in Luke Walton, it was Rob Palenka's name on the quote in the press release. I mean, they very easily could have put... Jeannie Buss's name on that quote. I mean, there's obviously a connection between Buss and Walton. We all know strong feelings there. They elected to put Rob Palenka's name on that press release. I don't know if that means it's his job to lose at this point, but as they go through the coaching search, at this point, Rob Palenka is the only one in that front office that's you know has experience in doing the interviews. And if you're going to let Rob Palenka hire the next head coach, do you have to give him a chance to run the team moving forward? Well, we always say you should not hire the coach before the GM. Rarely right? works. Rarely works. And Polinka is the GM, but he's the GM who was part of a two-man team with Magic Johnson, and it's still unclear as of yet whether Polinka is elevating to team president and hiring a new GM, whether they're going to operate with the model of no team president, because not every team does that way. Some, some just have the GM as being the top spot, and then you have assistant GMs. Is he hiring somebody beneath him? If so, is that person going to still feel like, you know what, I should have been part of this process? Why are you hiring a coach before you either have named a team president or elevated Rob Palenka to that title and hired a new GM? Either way, you are still out of uh, out of sequence here, and I think that's a potential issue. I do understand, though, too, listen, some of the names they've been tied to, uh, Juwan Howard, Monty Williams, and of course Ty Lue, these are guys who other teams may have interest in as well. And you do need to act with some expediency just to make sure that you don't lose your opportunity. But yeah, it raises the question of whether you're doing all this out of sequence. And is this the front office to to go forward with? Uh, before Magic stepped down, there were rumblings that maybe there was some shakeup coming. That maybe Rob Polinka himself was going to be out. With Magic gone, I could see where Jeannie Buss probably feels like, you know what, I can't afford to lose the entire team that I hired. I'm going to keep Rob because he's the one I know, and we'll figure out the rest later. But, you know, I think the argument can be made. Listen, Palinka was part of every one of those decisions that we've all mocked and derided and that the rest of the league has mocked and derided. Palinka can't be – he's no more free of those decisions than Steve Mills was free of any of the stuff that happened when he and Phil Jackson were paired up with New York. I think there's a very good argument to be made that the Lakers should just be starting fresh here, that they should have been the ones to go out and grab David Griffin while they had the chance before the Pelicans hired him instead, and they missed that opportunity. Do you think that, I mean, what's the reputation that you know of of Palenka Crestley? Because, you know, hiring an ex-agent is 
it's difficult. I mean, it comes with some risks out there. I mean, Jason Levian was an ex-agent. That didn't work in his times as a team uh, executive. Bob Myers went the other way. Bob Myers has worked out a former agent to take the ascendant to the top job there. Palenka, from the people I talk to, he generates some strong feelings. There yes. are people that that really have soured on him largely because of the relationships they had with him when he was an agent. Yeah, I mean, people said this from the moment he got that job, um, and it's it's a it's a been a continuing theme in the two years that he's had the job that a lot of GMs didn't really like dealing with him as an agent and so therefore weren't eager to deal with him as a GM, which is a problem when you're trying to make trades and also just exchange information, all the other things that go on in, in that community within the NBA. And then there were a lot of agents who, like, the agents all pretty much hate each other. They're all stealing each other's clients all the time. And or at a minimum, trying to steal each other's clients <laughs> all the time and talking shit about each other. Like, that's the, that's the world they operate in. So you don't think that all the agents he has to deal with to try to sign their clients and woo their clients, that they don't also have some resentments of him? I mean, you can emerge from that world without that. And Bob Myers is one who I think largely did. But Bob's a much different makeup than uh, than Rob Polenka. And look, there are others who have succeeded, right? Neil O'Shea made that transition first to the Clippers and now in Portland. He's, he's had a pretty good run. Um, Arn Tellum in a different way because he went to Detroit uh, as the the president of everything, not just basketball operations. But yeah, it, it's a it's a dicey transition because if you turned too many people off along the way, you're going to have a hard time doing business once you get into that role. Yeah. Does, Ian, do you, does Rob get credit as part of the organization that has drafted pretty well? I mean, the last couple of years, especially in 2017, you grab Josh Hart with a 30th pick in the first round. You grab Kyle Kuzma with a 27th pick in the first round. We can debate Lonzo Ball. I mean, I, I, I Jason Tatum, I don't debate necessarily, but De'Aaron Fox, you know, kicked the crap out of Lonzo in the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. and everybody kind of looked at that and said, well, you got to look at the evidence here, but they were fixated on Lonzo. But Lonzo is still going to be a good player. I think he's still going to be a starting point guard in this league. And the other side of it, does Rob get credit for the draft the Lakers have had the last couple of years? Yeah, you have to credit him. If we're going to knock him for the mistakes that were made, you also have to give him credit for the Kuzma pick, which looks fantastic, the Hart pick, which looks strong. But then you also look at the trade that was made with D'Angelo Russell. That's not looking that great. And then the Julius Randle decision, that's also not looking great. So I think you, you give him credit and, and you bang him a little bit for both sides of the ledger because Magic – I don't think made these decisions independently. These guys were working in tandem. So those certainly go on his record and he should be evaluated uh, based on all those decisions that were made. And, you know, I, I kind of agree with those that say, hey, let's let's clean shop here. Let's bring in an outside voice. You know, Magic was such a big personality in the room, such a driving force for the franchise. Let's start fresh here. You know, we still have LeBron James under contract for a few seasons. We have a lot of pieces to work with here. Let's bring in somebody new with a fresh vision without the baggage that we just discussed uh, that Rob Palenka has, and, and let's move forward. You need to at least make a call, whether it's back channel or otherwise, to Sam Presti, to Masai Ujiri, Darcy Buford to Bob Myers. Find out if there's interest there. And if there's not, all right, you, you took a chance. But I think of one of those four guys, there might be someone with interest. All right, let me finish the Laker conversation uh, with this. Whoever comes into the GM, let's assume it's an outside voice that comes in there. If how, they hire somebody. If they hire somebody. If, they, if, it's, if it's somebody that comes in, how seriously do you have to at least entertain the idea of trading LeBron James? Whew. You know, I don't think you do. I just don't think you do. Um, 
LeBron chose LA for all kinds of reasons, and we know that those reasons may or may not may or may not have, have involved trying to contend for titles, right? There's a lot of belief around the league, which is not necessarily the same thing as fact, but there's a lot of belief around the league that LeBron chose LA because he just wanted to be attached to that franchise. He wanted to live in LA. He want his family wanted to live in LA. He wanted to be close to his media empire. And, you know, that's not to say that he was preparing himself for the possibility of missing the playoffs or having four, you know, three more years like the first one. You got to win. You got to win with LeBron or you have failed him. You have failed your fans. You've failed just everybody. It's a disaster if you can't turn this around. But I don't think anybody who comes in there or anybody who is currently there should even consider that. You've got the cap room. You mentioned it earlier. You do have still the possibility that Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram become the stars that they were projected to be. It is very early, and most guys do not become all-stars in their first couple of years in the league. It takes time. So there's enough signs there, and you know injuries have, have, have played a role here in holding back Lonzo in particular, that you can't just give up on that possibility. Now, can you still package those guys for veteran help? You know, whether it's Anthony Davis, hey, look, there's a new GM in, in New Orleans, you know, team president, whatever Griff's title is. Maybe he's more open to a deal involving those players than Dell Demps was. I don't know, but you have to at least figure it out. You have to, you have to at least ask. Maybe Bradley Beal becomes available. Maybe somebody else breaks loose. And maybe some team that has the next uh, discontented superstar is a team that is more enamored of your, your assets than New Orleans was. So you have, you have opportunities here to still build something around LeBron. He is one of the greatest of all time. Those don't come around very often, even at this age. And you got him for a reason. He made you relevant again. Now it's time to be respectable again. And you can do that by starting with the fact that you've got LeBron and just keep building. Okay, but Ian, if the Lakers get to August and they miss out on all the free agents, which I think they're going to, and they can't make a trade for Anthony Davis because, let's say, the Pelicans make a deal with Boston if Kyrie Irving decides to stay, and they're sitting there facing the possibility of having to bring that whole team back that doesn't really like each other all that much, all the young players are kind of looking around wondering when is LeBron going to try to trade us once again. Doesn't a new GM, like if I'm a new GM, if the Denver Nuggets go out in the first round or the second round, if I'm into August, I'm calling Tim Conley. Because Tim Conley like, desperately tried to get a meeting with LeBron James last year, was trying to get into the free agency process on a one-year deal with LeBron, knowing full well what was going to happen. If the Nuggets get beat in the first round, Tim Conley in Denver, I think, would give up everyone short of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Like, if you can get a package of young players back in exchange for LeBron James, only if you're into August and you're facing bringing these guys back again, I would do it. And if you're LeBron, I know you went to Den- to L.A. To, uh, to, to build out, for other reasons, non-basketball, but don't you have to at least consider it like a chance to win? You put LeBron James, guys, with Jokic and with Jamal Murray. I don't know what that does, but if Durant leaves the Western Conference or things shake up, at least it puts you in the mix. At least it gives you an opportunity. That might be the best passing team in the NBA with Jokic and LeBron James in the front court. I sound like I'm like the, the Nuggets spin here on the side. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're in August and, and things look like it's the status quo, I'd at least make that phone call, man. You have to make the call, but you have to do so privately because if those discussions happen and they don't end Lakers up in very a trade, good at private private things <laughs> getting out there. Those get reported in the media and they don't end up with LeBron in a different town on opening night. Oof. That you have a mess on your hands. Mm. You have a real big mess on your hands. I think you make the calls. I think you you try to gauge the value of a LeBron James, what you could potentially bring back. But I think you also have to make calls on 
Howard mentioned a Bradley Beal. I wonder if a guy like Mike Conley uh, becomes available depending on Memphis's direction. You wonder, you know, how things shake loose in Boston. There are going to be other guys who are going to be available via trade. So if you do strike out in free agency in your Lakers and you don't trade for Anthony Davis, it has to go both ways. Even if you're thinking of trading LeBron James, you also have to think about putting together packages for other veterans who might be available. Come on, Howard. Are you anti-Denver? No, I'm very pro-Denver. Um, my my favorite Denver theory, actually, though, is that after the Nuggets flame out in the playoffs because of their youth, sorry, um, <laughs> we're, we're partially partway there, um, that they're the ones who then take that wealth of assets that you were alluding to and go chase Anthony Davis. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been my favorite theory for a while here, that the part of the, the uh, point of the exercise, if you're New Orleans, of waiting not just for Boston, not just for the team that might end up with the draft rights to Zion Williamson, but that there are other teams out there that couldn't be in play before, but that might be in play after the season. Because if a team like Denver, and by the way, Denver might make a deep run, but if they don't, and they say, well, you know what, maybe we are too young. Maybe we don't have the, the right makeup or, or we, we need that other stud. Maybe they're the ones that make a, a pitch for Anthony Davis, or maybe they're the ones who make a, a deal for Bradley Beal. I mean, there's... I, I like Denver as a team to make the exactly kind of the play that you're talking about, Chris. I'm just not sure if it's for LeBron, and I'm not sure if the Lakers should ever even entertain the idea of training him just because it's just such a bad look. Quick aside on Denver. Is Tim still going to be running the show when we're talking question. about these discussions here? That's a good question. I think if you're going to get Tim Conley, and we're all talking about D.C. and the Wizards, if you're going to get him out, uh, because there's a soft spot in Tim's heart for the, the the DC area and and the Wizards, you got to come with one like they how they got Scott Brooks is how you got to come at Tim Conley. Like they rolled into Scott Brooks' house with a seven year or five year thirty five million dollar contract. Yeah, you've got to come up with the executive uh, equivalent if you could have any chance of of getting Tim Conley out of there. But it's an interesting and to your point, Howard. The only problem I think with Davis is that if Boston with Davis in Denver, if Boston gets into the mix, I, I just don't. You're not going to outbid them because they're going to put Tatum in there, and you, they're probably going to put well, Brown in there. And if if you put those guys in there, if you're not trading Murray or Jokic, there's nobody in on that Denver Nuggets roster that you would say is on that level. Agreed. I think that you're in it if you're Denver. If you assume that Boston, for whatever reason, doesn't put the full boat on, uh, on the table because either Kyrie left and now they have to hedge their bets a little, or Kyrie left and now they're thinking, well, Anthony Davis was only going to resign with us to play with Kyrie, and if Kyrie's gone, then he's got less incentive. Now you're hedging your bets. I mean, there are, there are scenarios that may cut into the belief that you and I both have, that most people have, that Boston at, at full capacity has the best offer to make. Um, I, I do think other teams can make very interesting offers, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, all right, I want to move on to New Orleans. You mentioned David Griffin a couple times. He gets the top executive job with the New Orleans Pelicans. We all like David Griffin. He's a former media member. He's very communicative with us. Um, and he has a pretty good track record. I mean, everybody says, oh, LeBron James won championships in Cleveland. That's not really the case. You've got to flesh out the roster around LeBron James. And David Griffin was part of the front office and ran the front office that took what Miami did and kind of added steroids to it. You know, the the, the shooting-happy uh, team out there. What do you think of this uh, this hire in New Orleans, Ian, and, and what kind of job that David Griffin is kind of undertaking? I think it was a great hire. I mean, we all said it before we jumped on the mics here. I think he was the best available free agent 
And if you're in New Orleans, it's it's not the most enticing situation for an exec. So I don't think you're gonna you're gonna nab a big name exec who is under contract. So given those sets of circumstances, this was a fantastic hire. Obviously, the first order of business for David Griffin is figuring out what you do with Anthony Davis. So he's gonna be keeping a close eye on the NBA draft lottery May 14th, figuring out which teams pick where and which teams would be willing to give up those picks in a Davis package. But but you said it, I think his track record, people don't give David Griffin the credit, enough credit for what happened in Cleveland because everyone just assumes that LeBron James was pulling the strings on everything. I don't think that's fair to David Griffin. I think he deserves a fair share of credit for the success that Cleveland had. And, you know, that New Orleans situation is difficult, uh, but there, if there's anyone who's going to come in and navigate it well because of the strength of the relationships that he has around the league. It's going to be David Griffin. He doesn't have, you know, we're talking about Rob Palenka. I don't think David Griffin has, like, enemies around the league. I think he has strong relationships. People like dealing with him, and that's going to help you in this kind of a delicate situation that he's facing with Anthony Anthony Davis. And Howard, I think this is actually a sneaky good job for an executive like Griffin because the next best thing to having Anthony Davis is the ability to trade Anthony Davis and rebuild your roster uh, around guys that are young and you have control of and draft picks. And let's say that it's Boston that you know retains Kyrie Irving. You can just pick your way through that Celtic roster and their draft assets. Celtics can have at least three first-round picks in this upcoming draft. There's a fourth that could potentially come their way if uh, the Memphis ping-pong balls uh, go a different way and that falls outside of the top eight. But David Griffin can rebuild this thing into maybe not a championship contender, but into a playoff contender, I think pretty quickly, because if you can get Jason Tatum and a bunch of players, Brandon Ingram and a bunch of players, whatever Denver has uh, that they can put on the table, you can be competitive in that conference, I think, pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it was a great move to entrust your franchise to him. Great hire by Gail Benson and, and her group. And for all the reasons you've stated, for all the reasons Ian has stated, I've got one kind of like uh, just stray thread here that I think is interesting to think about. And I'm not saying this will happen, but David Griffin also has a relationship with Rich Paul, the agent for Anthony Davis, because he's the agent for LeBron James. Griff and, and Rich Paul know each other very well after years of dealing with each other, clearly. Now, I also believe that if Griff had been in charge when Kyrie Irving made his trade demand, there was an, at least a chance that it might have been handled differently. You had a rookie GM and Kobe Altman who just, you know, that was a tough first thing to have to handle. He made the trade. And he had Dan Gilbert basically breathing down his neck on that one. Too. Yes. Griff, as we know, has a track record of making those critical connections with the coaches, the players, other people in the organization. He's all about, he's a people person. He's all about the communication aspect of that job. The GM, the job of the GM is a thousand different things, people. And among them that is most important is to be a great communicator and someone who galvanizes a group and who understands uh, people and their motives and when to call guys out, when to call out LeBron. And he would do that. If, would Griff be able to go in on day one and maybe have that discussion with Rich Paul and Anthony Davis and say, listen, new sheriff in town. Let's get this thing right. Let's, 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 let's stop this train and I'll keep you. Now, I'm not saying there's a great percentage of that happening. I think odds are Anthony Davis will, tr will be traded. And I think Griffith is a great person to, to have that responsibility because he will get the most out of it. But I just wonder, is it possible given his relationship with Rich Paul that he could try to, to stop this thing and, and, save uh, that relationship. But do you think he even wants to at this point? I mean, if there was, if there were two years left on Davis's contract like Kyrie Irving had, 
I think that would make more sense. Less urgency, but, yes. But you know that the value for Anthony Davis, if you don't trade him this summer, it goes down at the trade deadline, and then you have no value when you get to free agency. I just think you can you have the potential to make a Herschel Walker type deal here. Like you can rebuild your franchise in the same way the Dallas Cowboys did when they traded Walker back in the day. This is a, a, a this is a gift, an opportunity for David Griffin. Yeah, and you make that trade, and then you look at the rest of that roster. Is Drew Holiday the next guy who's on the trading block? Once you move Davis, I mean, the, it can almost be a, a blank canvas in certain senses. Once you move on from Davis, there's so many different directions that you can go. And Chris, you said it. I think that's what makes the job so attractive. It's not necessarily the idea of trying to convince Davis to stay when he has one foot out the door. It's the possibilities that open up once you do move Davis. And who knows? Maybe it's the Seattle Pelicans in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> we, you and I already got, us, got ourselves in trouble, Chris, uh, for floating this one like two years ago on this podcast. I know. <laughs> I know. Or some incarnation of Nobody, your podcast. I, I'm, due respect to the diehard fans in New Orleans, and there are some, I give you that, yeah. but they just don't show up. Like The, the fans don't show up on a regular basis. It's and a, that arena it, sucks. Yeah. And like, come on, build a new arena somewhere, and then maybe we can start talking about that team being a long-term fit in New Orleans. I'll take the bullet for this one. They don't belong in New Orleans. Put a team in Seattle, whether it's Memphis or New Orleans, and not Memphis, well, I actually think is better suited. As, as, you, as you know, my theory, and I think we shared it, and it was this discussion at the time, is that if you lose Anthony Davis, and even a couple of years ago when we talked about this, it was clear that they were on that trajectory. You lose Anthony Davis, you become even less relevant than you were and there's even less support for you as a team, and that's what opens the door for you to then leave. Now, I know Gil Benson has said, you know, upwards, downwards, sideways, there's there's no way that they're moving, there's no way they're selling all this, but listen, I, I, I am still not a big believer in the long-term viability of that franchise there, but hey, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. I love going to New Orleans. One caveat to this discussion, you know, Depending on who gets that number one pick, if they want to make a trade for Davis, then New Orleans gets Zion Williamson. That might change the conversation a little bit about the Pelicans. How about if the Pelicans get the number one pick and then can trade Davis? That would be crazy. I mean, you get Zion, Tatum, yep. Brown, or Zion, Brandon Ingram, Kuzma. They might be My on goodness. something down yeah. there. And David Griffin's like, shit, I took a great job here <laughs> no, in New Orleans. No, I, I, and I, I respect the boldness in him taking it, too. Like, listen, he he could have – I don't know if he could have had his pick necessarily, but Griff certainly would have had interest from all the other teams that are now uh, looking for front office top, top execs, right? Washington's looking. Minnesota's sort of looking. The Lakers should be looking. <laughs> Um, who am I missing? Someone else in the in this whole Memphis? No, they they just shook things up and no. But Memphis is going to hire somebody. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what the pecking order is going to be, and that's the thing. Like somebody like like Griff is not is not going to go somewhere to be somebody's number two, mm-hmm. nor should he be at this point. But it's a bold move to take on New Orleans because of of all the obvious constraints that they've had. Um, your first order of business is to trade the best player in franchise history. That's not usually the way you want to walk into a job, but he's you know. If anybody's up for that that task, he is. And you're you're right too. They could come out of this with a wealth of assets, players and picks, and a chance to really build something sustainable. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about Oklahoma City uh, a little bit here. And the Thunder, for most of the season, they look to me, guys, like a team that could be a threat to Golden State. First half of the season, you had Paul George playing like an MVP candidate. You had Dennis Schroeder playing good basketball. Russ was still putting up triple-doubles. Steven Adams was the anchor to a top-10 defense. And now, they lose the first game of the series against Portland. 
the shooting, which really started to crater after the All-Star break, continues to be a problem. Shot sub-40% against the Blazers in that game one. And now you're looking around at this Thunder team, and if they can't beat a beat-up Portland team, which lost its third-best player in Yusuf Nurkic for the season just a couple of weeks back, if they can't beat, Ian, a beat-up Portland team, you have to really wonder, as this team starts to age, Russ is over 30, Paul George uh, getting up there at this point, you have to wonder if this team can beat anybody because this was the season. You know, Everybody's happy, Carmelo's gone, chemistry is intact. You have to wonder what exactly can this team be if they can't knock off the Blazers. Right, and but you also wonder... What major moves can be made from this point to really reconstruct the roster? Because you're locked in on Russell Westbrook. You're locked in on Paul George. Then everybody reflexively looks at the coach. I don't know what that would mean for Billy Donovan if they flamed out quickly, but it certainly is not a good look. And, you know, I know that they reduced their tax bill significantly by getting off of Carmelo, but this is still a pretty expensive team. And Very so expensive team. There's no obvious move that would significantly change the complexion of this roster. So, you know, it's a tough situation, and the shooting has really killed them. And I think they missed a bunch of open looks in Game 1 against Portland, so maybe... You know, they make those shots in game two, and we have a different conversation after game two. But, you know, I can see why the Thunder fan uh, today or after that game one loss would be pretty pessimistic about your about the future of the club. Howard, am I overstating the importance of this series on the Thunder? No. I mean, look, it's not. The Thunder is not the kind of franchise that's just going to, like, overreact and blow it up in the wake no. of a first round loss, right? And the thing about operating in Oklahoma City in the first place is. You were really uh, fortunate but smart to have drafted the guys you did in in the first place, right? To get Durant and Harden and Westbrook and Ibaka. And then, based on circumstances, to continue to build around and and sustain a a high-caliber playoff team, even after Durant's defection, even after the, the Harden trade. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but still, to continue to push this thing forward and to be this good, to make the, the, the bold move for Paul George on the, the the leap of faith, believing in yourselves that you can get him to stay, and then he does. All of that's great, but yeah, there's a kind of a ceiling on it. And right now, that ceiling seems to be a team that's going to win somewhere in the mid-40s to high-40s in the season and lose in the first round. And, you know, there aren't a lot of options. You're not going to go out in free agency. Even if you had cap room, you're not a destination. You have limited resources in terms of of even making trades at this point, unless you're going to trade one of your top two guys. Um, It's hard to find the path for them to get better unless they're going to to ace a low pick the way that they did. What was Ibaka, like 19th or whatever his year? Yeah, the high teens. Yeah. So if if you can ace a a, a pick somewhere along the way, great. Um, I don't know where else you go to improve this team, though. They're kind of just plateaued. And I said, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier, and you know, I, I know where this goes when I go into these discussions about Russell Westbrook. But look, the guy puts up amazing numbers. He's an incredible competitor. He's also reaching that stage of his career where the punishing style he plays may start to take its toll, where when he loses his athleticism, there's really nothing else left there. He's not a guy who he's obviously not a shooter, and his shooting is worse than it's ever been. And credit to him for reeling back his usage rate to live, give Paul George more room to operate this year. But the fact is, any team that is built around Russell Westbrook, shooting at the the low efficiency that he does throughout his career, not just this year, I know it's a low, but he's never been an efficient scorer, yep. 
puts an automatic ceiling on how good you can be. And in a conference as competitive as the West, this is just who they're going to be. I don't, as long as Westbrook is the core of this team, I don't think they're ever going to, to break past this position of being a maybe to high 40-win team and maybe get to the second round. But I don't think they're ever, they're ever getting beyond that. So what do you do with Westbrook then? Just keep going down this path, this sort of rabbit hole and say... I, I think because you're Oklahoma City and you know it's really hard to get a guy like that, for all of his flaws, mm-hmm. he's still a top 10 player and an exciting player and a guy who's who that community just absolutely adores and and he, he energizes them. And if you trade him, you're kind of gutting the identity of, of that team and I don't know what what's left. Now, look, someday he's gonna, the day is going to come where... He's going to go anyway. Either yeah. he's going to fall off a cliff athletically and he won't be the same player, or he's going to retire or whatever, and you're going to have to start over at some point. So yeah, I guess you could make the argument, you know, do it now, trade him while he's at... at uh, I don't even know, know where you trade him, though. Like, uh, yeah. And again, we're putting the card before the horse, horse here. As we speak, they're only down one game and the series gets bored. <laughs> they could wind up you know, winning the next four. But if that is like something that's speculated about, I don't know where you trade him, man. Like, how many teams out there would be like, yeah, okay, Russell Westbrook is the guy that's going to put us over the top. I mean, the Thunder have successfully kind of managed him and... and been able to kind of uh, you know build this team around him. I'm not sure if you trade him to like, like San Antonio's. I mean, like, does Golden State like if Durant leaves? Like I, I'm just you, you got to find I'm a team, throwing shit out there. A like, team that's desperate for an identity. You know, Kemba leaves Charlotte. Yeah. Does, you know, you go trade him to Charlotte or something. I mean, it's it's a it's got to be a team that needs. What is Russ like? Is butts Russ happy? That, like you know, Russ stayed no. in Oklahoma City because he's got loyalty in part to Oklahoma City. Uh, I don't think he'd feel the same way. You know, Oklahoma State took a chance on him when not, when he was roundly criticized for not being a point guard. They made him a point guard. They yes. built the team around him. I don't know if he, you know, maybe it's Michael Jordan there in Charlotte, but I don't know what, I don't know if there's anywhere that Russ would be happy playing with Oklahoma. And that's why I don't see a scenario where he gets traded, both sides of the ledger, because of the organization's affinity for Russ and because of the idea that you're not going to find a trade partner that's going to give you great value in return for Russell Westbrook. It's just not going to happen at mm-hmm. this point. So I see him staying put. I see him finishing his career there, whether it results in a championship or not. I mean, remains to be seen. Uh, but the one thing about this Thunder team is they were two for 15 on open threes in game one. I just looked it up because it was just an astounding, it was astounding to watch that game and watch them miss so many open looks. So I think that's going to turn at some point, whether it be game two or later in this series. So I don't think this series is over. And while that, while I don't see them primed for a long run in the Western Conference, I, I also see them kind of getting past this series and maybe making some noise in the second round. And then these conversations about the future of the team, while they're still valid, I don't think they become as pressing as they are right now. Yeah, I think if you get to the second round, you lose, as long as you don't get swept or anything like that, you can at least have the conversation, all right, if we hit on one of those draft picks that you're talking about, Howard, we can will be in a better place uh, yeah. moving forward. But but that but see, that's the big thing, Chris. They can get to the second round. Hell, there's even a path to the conference finals for them. It's yeah. conceivable. You're in the 3-6, so you're going to play the winner of the 2-7, which is San Antonio and Denver. I don't think either anybody of us would it's say... It's a great place to be. You don't want to be in that 4-5-1 that yeah. right. game became just the brutal second round matchup. Completely. So there's actually a, a conceivable path for the Thunder, even though I've said I don't see them getting past first, second round with this group. There's a path right now in this postseason to getting to the conference finals because Denver is young and I think beatable. San Antonio is not the old San Antonio Spurs, but if they beat Denver, maybe we should be looking at them a little differently. Anyway, they could make it there. That's fine. Are they ever going to be able to take that next step? Is there one guy on the roster who you say, you know what, that guy's growth trajectory means we'll have that third star? No, there's nobody there who you can identify with that. Um, is, is there 
are there any other paths to get that guy? No, we just went over that. There really isn't. So I think they just kind of are who they are. It, it's it's similar to what Portland, the struggle they've had the last couple of years of like, there's a cap on how, how far you can go with just this CJ Dame Lillard uh, core, but they made the play for Nurkic and Nurkic has shown the kind of growth where all three of them healthy, we'd, we'd be talking about them having a great path to the conference finals right now. So that's what you need. You need to find, you know, at, at a minimum, you know, that third star or somebody young who's growing into or a bunch of young guys. It's just really hard to do once you get to a certain point in terms of the cap and your core group. And the, the Thunder feel like that kind of team where I think they've, they've got a, a ceiling on them. You have to pull off that heist. I mean, Nurkic got to Portland in part because they pulled off the trade of the year at that time where they flipped... Uh, what was it, Mason Plumlee, uh, and got a first-round pick back with Nurkic. So it was yeah. Nurkic at number one. I remember the Denver uh, brass wasn't all too happy at how that one uh, kind of played itself out. But, yeah, you got to pull off something big like that or hit some, hit a big home run like a Pascal Siakam in the draft, somebody that contributes yes. to your team uh, right away. I don't want to finish with the, uh, the, the one seed in the West, Golden State. And, you know, last year around this time, the conversation we were having was about Stephen Curry's injury. It was about the regular season malaise and – should we be worried about that? Does that speak to the apathy with Golden State? Will it carry over into the playoffs? Well, the Rocket series was extremely tough. They might have gotten lucky with the Chris Paul injury to get out of that series alive, but then they went on to the finals and swept their way through it. Do we think any of the things that have happened to Golden State during this regular season, I'm talking about the Kevin Durant stuff with Draymond Green, and I'm talking about another regular season where they kind of seemed like they were sleepwalking through most of it, plus Boogie Cousins bringing him into the mix, having to play him 25 minutes per night. Is there anything, Ian, that we should really say, and you know, and we should really sit back and say, well, this is a cause for concern with this uh, Warriors team? I don't see it, and I say that because... This is not a group that's together for the first time. This is a group that has been through the gauntlet, has won together in the past. They know exactly what it takes. And now I don't think everybody in that organization was in love with how much attention Kevin Durant's free agency was getting over the course of the season. I think a lot of people there were just hoping to be able to enjoy this journey uh, and route to what they hope is another championship. And there were different distractions along the way. You referenced several of them. But I don't see any of those as a big enough impediment to get in in the way uh, of this group reaching uh, where we all expect them to be in late June. There's just too much talent and there's too much championship experience now with the group for them to fall short of expectations. And Howard, I think the Durant stuff actually is working in their favor. I feel like everybody in that organization knows that Durant's going to be gone. Like, it just... It just feels like the writing is on the wall and everybody kind of knows it. So maybe that can galvanize them a little bit. Like, let's do this one more time and then we'll figure out what happens after that. Yeah, it's the nothing is promised kind of <laughs> rallying cry, right? Yeah. Um, it's this any year could be your last and oh, gee, I guess this one might actually be the last. When you win the first one and you're a young team and you think, you know, we could do this forever. We could do this for years to come. You win 73 games the next year and you think we can do this for years to come. You add Durant. You really think that you're that you're invincible, but you know these guys are getting into their 30s, and they're on year five of this run, and you're already having to contemplate the fact that there's, you know, it's there's a there's a finite, um, you know, calendar to work with here. Like th these things don't go on forever. They've already gone longer than most modern day powerhouses. It's hard, and so if that focuses them that much more right now to say, listen, we we know he's probably gone. We believe he's gone. But right now, at this moment, we still have by far the best talent in basketball. 
let's go win one and we can all celebrate one more time together and then you can go off and try to save the Knicks, Kevin. Good luck. Um, you know, that... I, I could see it, but I also... You and R.J. Barrett with the third pick <laughs> in the draft. <laughs> and Kevin Knox. Kevin um, Knox. I, I, I think that they... Don't forget Mitchell Robinson. Uh, he's, no, he's been great. Good player. Um, James Dolan loves him. Um, <laughs> as soon as he looks up his name on the yes. sheet of paper in front of him. Do you guys know how, to, how, do you guys know how many teams passed on Mitchell Robinson? Yeah, James. <laughs> Go down the uh, list. There's the numerical. Anyway, I, I, just, I, I, I do think that also the, this is the thing with the Warriors. They have been through enough... They have Draymond Green. They've been through drama. They know, like, drama is, that this suits them. That's who they've been for a couple of years now. They already had their flare-up early in the year with KD and, and Draymond on the bench. They already had whatever else that's going on that we haven't even learned about yet. They're fine. Nothing, I think, is going to rattle them. And the, and the, the formula has been for a while now. If the Warriors don't beat themselves, you're probably not beating them unless there's injury. And that's where we are right now. They don't look like they're prepared to beat themselves. Durant actually looks kind of happy right now. Maybe because he knows, you know what, I'm getting close to the end here mm-hmm. and I can stop having to pretend that I'm staying or I can, I can stop, you know, giving double speak on my, my future intentions. Then um, that's, you know, there, there's something freeing to that. 30, uh, be 30 years old and he hits free agency with a blank slate. That's why I think the Knicks appeal to him because he's already had the three championships uh, in his pocket. But since we t- brought up the Knicks, Ian, you covered the Knicks. Uh, they, I mean, all the moves they've made this season – they have to believe with a high degree of certainty that Kevin Durant's going coming there, don't they? I don't think you trade Chris Tapps, Porzingis, f- essentially for cap space and, and Dennis Smith Jr. without some assurances that you're getting two guys and one of them is Kevin Durant. I don't think you make those moves uh, without knowing that. Now, everybody who followed Kevin Durant's free agency in 2016 knows that he's a guy who can change his mind, and I think that's human nature. I mean, any of us could go back and forth on a decision of such magnitude. The thing that I wonder, I mean, we all talk to execs, players, ex-players, coaches, whoever, that believe Kevin is coming to New York, and I get that, and I have the same conversations, um, and, I, and I believe the same things. But if they win, and then Kevin is in a room with Steph Curry, and Steph Curry starts talking to him about the idea that they can go for four and what that means in a historical context, I think that's going to be tough to walk away from if they're in that scenario. Uh, but uh, without a doubt, going back to the Knicks, I mean, to the idea that you're trading your franchise player, not for another franchise player, but for cap space, you have to know that people are coming. Yeah, how about you say to Kevin, play till we lose. Stick with us till we lose. Sign a one-year contract and stick with us till we lose. Yeah, let's do it again. One more year. To see all, cap, protect yourself with that second-year player option that LeBron made cool. And Well, and here's the interesting thing, Chris. We talk about a lot about how we perceive these players and what they want, what they're about, their values. And, and, and we, as, as media and fans, we often, I think, too harshly judge these guys. And I think Durant was too harshly judged in leaving Oklahoma for the Warriors. I understood it. I thought a lot of it was unfair to him. But the one reason why I thought it was justified, in the same way that I thought that LeBron was justified in leaving uh, Cleveland for Miami... LeBron had to leave Cleveland for Miami to get the kind of help he needed to win titles. He was not going to contend for titles in Cleveland. No one was going to come join him there. They couldn't get stars. Durant, I get it. Maybe if he stayed with Oklahoma, maybe they actually knock off the Warriors. But the fact is, he went and joined a team that he knew had the chance to win at the highest level, had a chance to be something special in a historic way. And that's what we're seeing if they win these three in a row. They're going to be making history. This is going to be what we're going to talk about this team as one of the greatest dynasties of all time. That's a good motive 
that you can kind of get behind, even if you don't like the way he handled it, even if you're a Thunder fan and you don't like this idea of disloyalty and all this stuff, you at least understand the motivation. If he leaves the Warriors for the Knicks, what the hell is the motivation? Like, where where is the piece of this that we can respect and say, yeah, I get it? Because it's not to win. If you want to win, you stay put. You want to make history, you stay put. It's not because you're in some some terrible, you know, backwater of... of of the U.S. You are in one of the greatest places to live on Earth. Yes, I'm slightly biased. I grew up there. Um, with a brand new arena opening and with next a, year. And with a brand new arena opening up. What, of all the things that we can come up with, the lists of reasons why guys leave franchises and make these kinds of dramatic moves, there isn't a single one that says you should leave a three-time champion, four and five years Golden State Warriors team for a Knicks team that hasn't done anything right in 20 years. Ian, any thoughts on the, why the, the Knicks are... The one thing that has been explained to me that kind of makes sense is the idea that Kevin can separate himself from that narrative that he jumped on the bandwagon to win these titles because if you come here and you guys know this, you live here, if he gets them to the conference finals or a finals appearance, he'll be seen of as uh, seen as a conquering hero around here. And if he wins a, a championship, forget about it. So there is the opportunity for him to really disassociate himself from that Golden State narrative and, and to build a new story about this portion of his career if he does come here. I mean, I'm with you. If uh, I, I don't know if I would make the jump given yeah. everything at play, but there is that idea. There is that idea, Ian, and I agree. And there is something to the fact of, of trying to... And listen, a lot of guys have tried to save the Knicks, right? Larry Brown tried to save the Knicks. Isaiah Thomas tried to save the Knicks. Donnie Walsh tried to save the Knicks. Mike D'Antoni tried to save the Knicks. Stephon Marbury tried to save the Knicks. Amari Stoudemire tried to save the Knicks. Carmelo Anthony tried to save the Knicks. I think Jamal Crawford tried to from him. <laughs> uh, Jamal had a better shot than some of the people I just named. Um, there are any number of people. Phil some Jackson. Of them, yeah, Phil Jackson tried to save the Knicks. There are any number of, of people with Hall of Fame credentials and who were already in the Hall of Fame when they got here who were tasked with playing savior for the Knicks. It just never works. And Durant will come in as the latest in a long line of presumed saviors, and he'll probably have the same fate as the rest of them. Um, I don't mean to be that dour about it. It's just that this franchise has never proven that it can make the right moves. And even in, like I've said this, the dream scenario for the Knicks is to get two max guys, Durant and Kyrie. They have two max slots. I think the math means that you are now at zero cap room. Where are they getting the rest of that help? Right. Where do you build out the roster from there? And, right. you know, Kevin Knox had a really, really alarming rookie season. Mitch Robinson was very good, but he's young and still kind of raw. Um, Dennis Smith Jr., word around the league is, is not all that great on him. So where is the supporting cast? And Durant and Kyrie Irving, these are guys who are mid-career now. You know, Kyrie's a little younger, uh, going on, what, 27. Durant's around 30. Maybe 30 next this summer. Um you know, and those guys know better than anyone, especially Kyrie, who's been through multiple knee surgeries. You know, you got to have help around you and you've got to have the right roster around you. And both these guys, having been to finals and won championships, should know that. And I just don't know that the Knicks have the capability, given their limitations and given that, let's, let's face it, there is no track record there, even with this front office, of having built anything. So how do you, how do you place your faith in them to say, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my career? That's the thing, too, about... You know, everybody pointed, you know, directing Kyrie to the Knicks multiple times publicly now. He's talked about all he's been through over the last year. He's talked about the knee surgeries, where he was this time last year, taking antibiotics, not sure what his career was going to be. For everybody out there that's sure that Kyrie Irving's going to walk away from a five year full max deal, 
I'm not so sure. Now, there are a lot of other variables when it comes to Boston and his happiness there and what the roster could look like down the line. But if this team makes a run into the conference finals, I don't know, man. I don't know. The, the Celtics, I'll tell you this much, and I'm around that team a lot. The Celtics are far more confident in their ability to retain Kyrie Irving than what the public perception is. Public perception is like, well, you know, it's 50-50. Some people really believe that he's definitely going to go. That's not what Danny Ainge thinks. That's not what the front office thinks. And and they talk to Kyrie Irving a lot. And Ian, if like Kyrie Irving decides to stay, and Patrick Ewing sitting there a lottery night with like the fourth pick in the draft, like can Kevin Durant really go there? Like, can you really say like? By the way, just sorry to cut you off and to jump in on Ian's uh, moment here, but like. <laughs> Ian, this part of it, too, struck me. Yes. They never have hired Patrick Ewing to do anything. <laughs> right. Never. Every time it comes up, people write this story. The New York media writes this story seven times a year. How come they never hired Patrick? They have Frank no respect Isola's for Patrick. favorite story. And now they're going to bring him in to put him on the dais when he has no association with the team, and you have to be on the dais of shame for the lottery after one of your worst seasons in history. Like, of all the ways to, quote-unquote, honor him, I'm sorry, that was just a little weird. Several people from... Patrick's time in New York have have wondered aloud why Patrick would agree to this. So I, I mean, I get the weirdness on both sides, and <laughs> it's funny. You look back at that Patrick Ewing trade. The Knicks essentially got rid of him because they were worried about a, a bad story kind of uh, hanging over the season all year, and they brought back some bad contracts, long term contracts, and that really started this really just horrific 20-year yes. period that we're in for New York. So there, there's a lot of symmetry there uh, with Patrick with regards to potentially building a roster around Kevin Durant and, and whatever max free agent comes here. And that's a, a difficult task for this front office. I think what you have to do is you're not in the business anymore of waiting around for an 18, 19-year-old to see what he can be in two, three, four years. You need vets around these guys. So you take some of that young talent that you have and, and you flip it for veterans and, and you try to do what you can with the exceptions. And uh, It's just uh, it's going to be interesting to, the, to see how Steve Mills, Scott Perry go forward from here and, and a lot of it is going to come down to what happens on May 14th. It's going to be Jimmy Butler and DeMarcus Cousins. We both thought that. Like we all, <laughs> it's funny, around the league, they either people either deriding the Knicks by saying they're going to end up with like Tobias Harris and Kemba Walker or whatever, or they're saying it about the Lakers. The Lakers are going to end up with Kemba and DeMarcus. Or, like, <laughs> people around the league are very uh, harsh, very, um, yeah, just, just a, a little bit biting when it comes to those two franchises. Say one quick thing about Patrick and the Knicks, uh, you know, for, for how bad that relationship was in the aftermath of the trade and the idea that Patrick was continually passed over for these coaching jobs. I think the Knicks current head coach, David Fisdale, did a pretty good job in mending fences there when the team was down in D.C. He had Patrick come into the locker room, address the players. He's actually reached out to a lot of the the past Nick greats, Willis Reed and others, and brought them under the tent. So I think you credit David Fisdale for the work of, of bringing Patrick and the Knicks back together. It's about time. Somebody did. Just yeah. I mean, it seemed like such a weird situation. You know, one of the greatest Knicks of all time and has just been ostracized by the franchise. It never yeah. made any sense to me. Uh, fellas, always appreciate you guys being on the podcast. We will see you later on on SITV, the debut episode of In the Paint. Check that out over at SI.TV. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.